0: To the ETP team podcast episode number 85 with myself and Becca. Hi Becca, how are you?
1: Hello. Are you good? You? I'm swell, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. My first team podcast. I know, <laughs> I know, I didn't even realise that. Like, oh Great, we party. Um, Hannah, how are you?
2: Hello, I am good, thank you. You know when you're, I'm having one of those days where it, everything's going weirdly to plan so I'm just waiting <laughs> like you you want to enjoy it but in the back of my head I'm like mm-hmm I still <laughs> might go <laughs> tits up
0: you know what I'm going to say that's what Brene calls for board joy right
2: I know and I'm really trying to be present and enjoy it but <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good embrace
1: it although I do look
0: forward to my message later telling me what actually did go wrong because <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: <yeah. laughs> this is- I have faith that it's <laughs> a weird day everything goes to plan yeah, it's, yeah,
2: they just don't happen enough. So <laughs> I have more days like it, I mean, come on, universe. But
0: <laughs> I always do like like that kind of, I know we say this with clients, but I have non-negotiables that are baseline, very baseline minimum of like my non-negotiables for today. So the, the it always pretty much goes to plan because I set the bar so low and then anything on top of that is like, woohoo, this is a great time. <laughs> oh yeah, do what I do, just set yourself really low standards. <clears throat> Uh um, yes. you'd never know that about me given my history. Um okay, let's get cracking with the questions, Anna Joanna, go first.
2: Yes, let's start with how to be more mindful and present, not just in eating, but in all occasions, and any tips how to reduce stress levels even when I don't think I'm actually stressed.
0: I mm. think I think. Recognize what mindfulness is. Sometimes we think we're not being mindful because we don't know how to measure it. And so we can end up being like, well, how do I be more mindful? And mindfulness really is literally being present, being aware, being non judgmental, not thinking about the past and not worrying about the future. So there's not kind of a slide and scale of that. You're either present in the moment or you're not. And I think the best way to do it, in my opinion, is trying just like set yourself a target each day of just saying for 30 seconds each day I'm going to be I'm going to be actively present and what that looks like is at that moment you say right I've got 30 seconds I'm just going to do it now I'm just going to notice how my butt feels on this cushion or how my feet feel on this dirty ground and I'm gonna notice what I smell and kind of just like what the like maybe what the sun or the rain feels like on my skin or wherever you are um that's the best way I think in my opinion to cultivate that because like I know I kind of laugh at like these mindful moments and my friends will say to me all the time they'll be like oh you're just having a mindful moment I'm like yeah because it's I think uh, the more mindful moments that you have and the more regular these things become the easier it is for you to be somewhere and go I'm just going to take this in for a second and have that kind of mindful moment without having to walk yourself through the process but at least when you're first starting it is kind of like let's walk through the process of each of my senses and like what if things feel like on my skin or what I can smell etc.
1: Yeah that was a really good explanation of it and I think you know it's interesting saying you're not really sure when you feel stressed so get familiar what that feels like for you so you know notice what you're feeling when you are stressed what sensations in your body and that because I think if you're not really familiar with how it feels it can go on too long until the point where you're overwhelmed and you don't really know how to manage it so getting familiar what it feels like and then at least you've something to work with when it does pop up um i think not making too much of a big deal out of the whole mindfulness practice it doesn't need to be like strategic in that step one i'm going to do x y or z just having something that really works for you and making it a habit so that it's easy to implement into your day rather than something that is complicated and hard to implement
0: for sure. I think as well, if it's not stress, what is it? Stress. So, stress, sadness, anxiety, happy. These are like what we would call umbrella terms of emotions. So, we can say sometimes that we feel stressed, but actually, what we, we feel is maybe um, anxious, or we feel nervous, or we feel overwhelmed, or we feel um, agitated. Or resentful. There are so many other kind of more granular terms for stressed. And one of the reasons that we that this is important is because you need to be able to identify your emotions properly. That's part of emotional regulation, is to be able to identify your emotions properly. And if you're saying I think I'm stressed, but I'm not stressed, you're probably not stressed, it's something else. So Google the feelings wheel and you'll see on Google Images that there'll be loads of feelings wheels and look up like try the emotions on so say is it stress or is it one of these other ones how does it feel if I say I feel agitated or oh, that might feel right or that might feel wrong okay let's try a different word I feel I don't know resentful etc and then when the feeling is the right feeling or when the emotion is right it kind of it, you'll feel a sense of like congruence because you'll say oh that that is what that is and you can say okay so it's agitation what's a really good way to resolve agitation for me and then think about your strategies for that, because if it's not stress, it's something else. So like like you said, Becca, getting really curious about what it is, it's so important.
2: I told you about the, I think it was introduced to me as the blob people. Mm-hmm. So uh, someone I know works in schools and it's way of helping children identify their feelings. Um, and they like the they are just blobs <laughs> but they've all got different expressions and and the kids pick out which one looks like how they feel I was like oh my god can you imagine if we had that Aww, like, yeah, how so emotionally cool. intelligent these kids are going to grow up to be That's so like, cool it's like, maybe maybe that's just where I need to start right now <laughs> <Just> like, <I'm laughs> that that's how I feel today
1: <laughs> it's like looking at a collar isn't it like you know if you can't express how you're feeling you're thinking of it as a color can be really I don't know something to go back to and recognize when you're not sure what you're feeling um I know one time a therapist was like what does your what emotion what color is that emotion or what's the texture of it and I was like oh my god this is so strange but when you actually do it once you can kind of identify it but a little bit more and it can you can express how you're feeling a bit better if you're stuck for words
0: yeah I like that I totally like that because some people are much more visual and that yeah. probably works really well for them like creative types I obviously can't relate but <laughs> yeah absolutely that I think like so- something I get asked a lot is you know how can we support like younger people with their relationships to food and their nutrition By like, do they need more education at school and it's like what you were saying Anna my answer is never we need to teach them about calories I mean that's important in the grand scheme of education but it's like no we need to teach them about emotional regulation that's what we need to teach them about. And that's probably going to have more of an impact on people's relationships with food than um, learning more about, I don't know, calories. But again, all of it is important for sure. We certainly shouldn't be taking that out.
1: the um, most you know, simple of like breathing exercises. People aren't aware of it. Like I, I know someone recently who was getting panic attacks and I was talking through the breath work process of literally just connecting with their breath. And they were like, oh my God, I used it. And it was, it was so helpful. But you just take it for granted. When you're, when you know of it, but it's not taught in school. So if you have never gone to look it up or whatever, you just don't know. So, yeah,
0: for sure. I, when in Cali, some of the meditation classes I go to, they bring their kids, and there's so many different ways of doing like breath work with your kids. And I remember speaking to one of my clients about this, and there's like this technique of if you've got like a toddler, and you put their favorite toy on their belly, and they say like, "Watch your to- watch your toy going up and down." And that's mm-hmm. their way of getting them to be mindful of their breath without actually noticing that that's what they're doing, um, which is cool. Yeah. Um, okay, George's question. I've been thinking a lot about unconditional permission to eat and how that looks. How do you give un- How do you give yourself unconditional permission to eat without consistently overeating? As this seems to be where I'm at.
1: So. It sounds like this person is maybe at the start of getting more mindful with their food and being more intuitive. So just know, and I'm sure Georgia has explained this to you, that there is a bit of a transition period between, you know, being able to, I guess, be mindful. So when you initially introduce new foods and you have more variety, it can be quite hard to to remain mindful throughout. So being quite non-judgmental of that and expecting yourself to have that transition period and it's okay to overeat sometimes it's not that you have failed at it it is kind of part of the process um so having patience and I guess exp- exp- <laughs> exposing yourself to more and more it would become easier as, as time goes by what are your thoughts
2: yeah exactly yeah. that the, it is trusting the process isn't it and riding it out because I think there's always that panic and it's it's when you do allow yourself all of those foods that have previously been avoided or restricted you go through um uh, I think Amelia you call it like the explorative phase don't you where you start allowing yourself all of these different foods and there will be times where you overeat and maybe it's not as you you don't eat it as mindfully as you would your usual meals and it's at that point you get the the feelings like oh my god this is over, out of control I need to revert back and go back to tracking or or as I said just gain that sense of control back I need to stop eating it but lean into that ride it through because there's going to come a point where those foods aren't so enticing you're not going to pick them all the time and when you do you're not going to pick the same amount a, a smaller serving is going to satisfy it
0: yeah, as much as I'd like to take credit for that exploratory phase, like that's part of the <laughs> intuitive eating framework. So there's like five stages of intuitive eating and that, that stage is the explorative phase, like you said. Um, so just to disclaimer that I don't want steal, to <laughs> steal someone's methods, um, but on the flip side, like, if you think about this really, really pragmatically, I remember cream eggs being something one of my clients I spoke to about. So this is why cream eggs always comes to mind for this example, but realistically, you give yourself unconditional permission to eat cream eggs. You might on the first day have a pack of six cream eggs. You might on the second day have a pack of four. Then you might have a pack of six. But realistically, in four weeks' time, do you really think that you're genuinely going to enjoy eating six cream eggs every single day? Like Logically, you know that that's really, really unlikely to be the case. And the only way to get to that end point is to work your way through and obviously following all the basic things of, you know, trying to maybe have it with other people. So you have a cream egg when you're out for coffee or you have it after a meal when you're you're not hungry. All of these logical things that you'll be working through with Georgia anyway, incorporating them at the same time will definitely help with that
1: yeah it is such it's so important to actually trust yourself at that time because if you don't or trust yourself and the process I guess because if you don't you're never going to expose yourself to it so it's always going to be a novelty it's always going to be almost a fear that you are going to overeat it when you do have it um and so I think the first couple of times are the hardest when you're like okay I am going to eat this and I even if I have another one and another one at least I have taken that step and the next time perhaps I won't be as eager to have the whole package I might just be able to have one or two and move on mm. um, what's it doing and experiencing it and you know until that point it is going to be the unknown I guess yeah um, and I always think
0: too like something I think is always worth considering is are you going to do this for the rest of your life Are you going to avoid these foods for the rest of your life? Are you going to track your macros for the rest of your life? Like, are you going to diet for the rest of your life? At some point, you're probably going to want to stop all of these things. So it's like, if not now, when? That was definitely, do you know what? I used to, this is embarrassing. When I prepped, I think the first or second time, there was this, (laughs) this HIIT workout on an app that I used to use. And it had the voice of Arnie on it. <laughs> God now when and I'd be doing my hat and i like, yeah. Because that's uh-huh. where I used to be. And I really
2: yeah, time- um, pumping iron. Or I mean, something? Pump pumping I mean, well, no, well no, it is like there was a DVD came out one of the years that I was on prep and it was oh. The pumping iron I, or generation it, I, line, I, don't, I don't know but I used to watch it when I was doing like on the bike I was like yes yes yeah oh god <laughs> it's yeah, it's horrible it's
0: like, every time I say if not now when I just think, oh, if not now <laughs> oh and oh, oh. oh. um, but that's also true and um, okay Becca question
1: okay so how do you balance self-compassion with holding yourself and others accountable and <laughs> um,
0: self-compassion is holding yourself accountable and I think that's how you balance it and this is super common right it's a super common misconception that self-compassion is just doing what you want whenever you want and being like yes uh, self-care and all of this stuff and that's not what it is self-compassion is also um, creating boundaries it's also doing what your future self will thank you for which might be holding yourself accountable to eating more vegetables maybe holding yourself accountable to not having three pizzas a week I say that from personal experience I think yeah. it's it's you are both when you are a self-compassionate person you hold yourself accountable and you can look at any of the coaches right and I use every coach in our team as an example of people who work their arses off in terms of work because that's the compassionate thing for all of us to do because that's what we value, right? We value doing good work. We value progression, career progression, all of this stuff that's compassionate. And as a team, I'd say, like, as a whole, we're probably the most compassionate people that we know. And, and that's because we hold ourselves accountable to these things and have certain standards for ourselves. And it's that what Kristen Neff describes as like the yin and yang of self-compassion. is the kind of the hard um, accountability, goal-setting, action-taking side. And the soft, you're worth it even if you don't achieve these things. Um, You deserve to achieve these things. You're doing your best side. And it's about merging them together. Um, Okay, Anna.
2: Yes, um, I've recently been prescribed HRT patches and tablets um, and also testosterone gel. Should I be training or eating any differently? So this client is going through menopause.
0: Yeah, not re- not really. Um, the thing with HRT is that it actually minimises a lot of the changes that come with menopause, and even with so even with menopause, you don't have to change differently. Change differently. Um, train differently. You might find that your recovery is a little bit lower, so you might have to change your volume of training. Like you might find that you are not sleeping as well. So, again, it impacts your recovery or your ability to want to train maybe five days a week. You might want to drop that down and focus on yoga or Pilates or movement in another way. You might also find with menopause that maybe if you have vaginal dryness, some movements are uncomfortable, so you might want to swap them out. But if you are on HRT, a lot of these things are minimized if not pretty much eradicated so you don't have to change it in that sense but I think with any of any hormonal um challenges or changes it's mostly about not what the research says but actually what feels right for you because it feels different for every person and at the same time as these physical changes that happen menopause there are like there there is the psychological side of it too and actually Excuse me, actually that's the most important thing
1: yeah, hundred percent like it's it, like Amelia said, it goes back to your specific situation. Are you feeling up to continuing training like you have been? you know do you have a desire to do something a little bit more low impact for now and maybe go back to the later time? so just give yourself a chance I think to adjust as well because you know there's obviously lots of changes after happening recently for you. Mm.
0: Um, I'm going to not ask this question until I've asked the first part of this. Have any of you read The, mid- read the Midnight Library?
1: No.
2: <laughs> I had it on audiobook, but you know, when you fall asleep and then you wake up and it's carried on reading. <laughs> yeah. you <didn't>
1: really
2: <laughs> So I need to revisit and work out where I fell asleep and then <laughs> finish it up.
0: Okay. i will come back to this question then because it's about the midnight library and i can just have a chat with her about it because i've read it I mean, um if you haven't read the midnight library anyone who's listened to this by matt haig i highly highly recommend it it's one of the best books i've ever read One, one of the best fiction books i've ever read if not the best um okay i'll ask another question lynn's question I get anxious if I have more than one dinner out a week. I think this is because I have a hard time saying no when surrounded by indulgence. Is this inherently a bad thing or do I know my limits? I don't know where the truth
1: lies. Okay, so am I hearing it right? She gets anxious when she has more than one meal out a week. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it's ingrained all beliefs and rules that you've set for yourself. Um, so obviously you're gonna be doing this work with Lynn, but really challenging those, like where are they coming from? Obviously it's been there for a while. Um, and I think, get curious about it. So actually actively go against it. What, what are the reasons why you couldn't have two meals out a week, you know, and it probably comes down to, you know, old beliefs of, oh, it's gonna to be too many calories or it's not gonna be nutritious enough. Um, so think about what else you're gaining from the meals. Maybe it's that you get to meet another friend. um, You can get that connection and enjoyment and release some stress. Um, So there's more to be gained than just the the nutrients and and the food side of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And stop thinking of a meal out as being any different to a meal at home. Mm -hmm. A meal is a meal, regardless of where you're gonna eat it. You were gonna eat a meal anyway. This one just happens to be in a restaurant. and I mean, we've spoken about it loads of times on here in that you're just you can be just as mindful when you're out and still tune into those uh, fullness and satisfaction cues. And often we build it up in our head that we're going to overeat and eat more than if you, more calories than you might usually. But when you eat mindfully, you often find that you reach satisfaction sooner because of how maybe the food choices or um the way that the food's cooked as well mm.
0: yeah and I think to pick up on you know I think it's just because I have a hard time saying no when surrounded by indulgence sometimes we can feel if we feel like we're saying yes for reasons that are are not empowered we can feel quite resentful and that might manifest to you again this kind of comes back to emotional granularity that might then manifest as anxiety or feelings of uncertainty the next time you go because you resent the fact that you say yes even though you want to say no so going into these situations saying you have a choice if you want to eat quote-unquote indulgent foods you absolutely can do that it's your choice but also you have the complete power to say no thanks maybe you'll have your quote-unquote indulgent choice the first time you go out and the second time you go do you know what this one i'm going to have more similar to what i would normally have at home but just more delicious because it's cooked by someone else i don't have to do the washing up um I- and I suppose on that too like you don't have to eat like other people and again that's sometimes why we say yes rather than say no because we want to fit in and we want to belong but you just end up feeling again you just end up feeling resentful because you've not acted in line with what's important to you and as long as you're acting in line with what you value and what's important to you and that might be I don't know who this person is so it might be fat loss it might be health It might be your relationship with food I don't know but as long as you're acting in line with that then that's what's important and say you're value is health or your relationship with food going out for a meal twice a week actually given that it's a struggle for you is in line with your values of health and relationship with food so actually you're making a really great decision because it's in line with what's important to you so it's about trying to frame it in terms of what's important to you as opposed to diet culture messaging which is what you were saying becca is what we often internalize and that's the we automatically go to that when we have these problems but actually Coming back to ourselves and thinking this is what is right for me, as opposed to this is what generically might look right on paper.
1: Yeah, and I think the challenge as well the mentality of oh, if I'm going out for a meal, then I'm going to be off my plan, or I'm going to be, I guess, not on plan. And <laughs> um, it can be part of your day, and, and you can still be making your progress and you know living your life and just using it as, as a positive rather than something that, oh, you have to do, you have to go for the meal, or that it's interfering with with your progress or your your routine. Mm. Witness okay. the positive spin on it.
2: Mm. Um,
1: Beck question. Okay. Um so I find it difficult to assert my boundaries. I find it uncomfortable and sometimes worrying. I've stepped over the mark with putting myself first. What are your thoughts on this, especially when it comes to dealing with feeling like I've just been selfish? Mm. I can relate to this one. (laughs) Mm. Mm. (laughs) Um, uh,
0: Discomfort doesn't mean there's anything wrong. If you're a people pleaser, if you're a people pleaser, you probably are. Most people that work with us are people pleasers and that manifests in how they choose to eat because they often are trying to not always, but sometimes we try and change our the way that we eat or we change our bodies for the benefit of other people or society. So a lot of people that we work with are people pleasers. And if you're a people pleaser, you find boundaries really hard. And when you set them, it goes against everything that you believe about making other people happy. So of course it feels uncomfortable. Of course it does. But I think it's taking a step back and saying, the discomfort probably means I've set my boundary. Like that's great. And it's something new. It goes against your inherent belief system that you've built for so long. And that's a tick box it means you've done it it doesn't I think if you're a kind person and you're doing this out of a place of kindness for either yourself and or other people not or other people yourself and other people then you've not done anything wrong I think it's just in our nature to feel uncomfortable when we do it
1: yeah especially if this is new and if it's early days and you're you've just started setting boundaries it is going to be uncomfortable especially so at the start um and like, it's it's. Go back to if you if you really struggle with it, go back to like this is making you be the best best version of you, and that's also going to benefit the rest of the people in your life. Um, and if it's a case that it comes down to your self worth, and you don't feel maybe um, worthy of setting the boundary, know that by keeping these promises to yourself and continuously showing up for yourself, um, and sticking to those boundaries, that that is going to help with your self worth in the long run you know so it would allow all this self-work stuff to to blossom um if you continue keeping the promise to yourself so that could yeah. be the solution
0: yeah and i think bernie is bernie has a quote doesn't she something like you're not kind to people that you let let that walk all over you and if you're not setting boundaries people will walk all over you and then think how nice you are to them then
1: mm-hmm yeah Brownies are, are healthy. <laughs> you just keep
2: reminding yourself that
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Anna.
2: I recognize that all too that I all too quickly slip into fast forwarding to achieve an end result, not giving the time to those fun foundational practices that will help me actually achieve it. And surprise, surprise, I find myself making only a little progress. How to endure the patience requ- required rather than succumbing to that default to really crack it? It's not f- easy to say when I've got teeth in.
0: <laughs> I'd say if the default is to really crack it, then that's your answer. You're not going to really crack it by jumping ahead to the end game. You're, the default to really crack it means that in this occasion, you slow down. So I don't know if that is actually what's going on for you, if that's what you're kind of telling yourself is going on for you. But, oh, it's And this, this is not a a critique it can be a bit of a defense mechanism to say I just want to achieve and so this is how I achieve but actually it's that's not how you achieve in this situation at all so I would think are you actually trying to escape the discomfort of what the work actually is to get to the end point are you trying to skim over the surface because you're smart and you know that this middle section is the hard part This is where people either push through and make lifelong changes or they quit. And we see this a lot with clients, right? We have clients who range from working with us for three months who don't necessarily want to do the deeper work or don't feel that they're ready to do the deeper work. Of course, there are lots of other reasons why people be with us for three months, but there are people who are in that situation. And then there are people who are with us for three years because they've moved all the way through the deep work and they continue to do it and have come out the other side and now they're part of the enjoyment this is like great banter type of situation and i think i think a lot of the time we just don't it's not a conscious thing but we are trying to avoid what we know comes next and so we're going let's just skip to the end part and of course we all want instant gratification that's our culture we all want the, the quick fixes and the easy stuff like that's totally normal but all the best stuff takes work all the best stuff takes like, consi- I nearly used the word grinding and I threw up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> literally, like, why did why did that come up in my heart? Um, but the reward that comes from that work is infinitely better. And I, I can almost guarantee this person is a the high achiever. I don't know who they are, but they so I'm sure that they will know what high achieving feels like when you achieve it, when you've put that work in for a degree or for whatever it is, and it's exactly the same. That feeling will be infinitely better when you've done like when you've actually gone right, I'm going to push through and I'm going to do this really hard stuff to get out to the other side.
1: Yeah.
2: So much that you like like you said, we're all guilty of just wanting wanting that end result, whatever that result is, that you rush through it. I mean, if we take our work aside, you rush through it and then like you said, you just don't even enjoy the process either. Because you're so honed in on what you need to do to get to where you want to be that
1: everything else it just bypasses you
0: yeah and you want it's go ahead
1: no it's it sounds a bit airy-fairy you know when you say enjoy the process but it actually makes such a difference when you're i think invested in in it so like even when something is uncomfortable instead of being like okay run hide be like okay this is a really good sign this is a sign that there's growth happening or i'm having a quote-unquote breakthrough um so just yeah reframe the oh this is so awful and uncomfortable as this is actually exciting in a way so much here for that
0: love a good reframe um and i also think as this seven year old boy said to me so anyone who didn't see my Instagram was basically (laughs) oh my god we went to a cenote the other day which is basically like a sinkhole in the ground And we've been to them a few times before and everyone jumps off the side and we went to a new one with Ed and Jordan and, and me and Emma and they were all jumping off and flipping and everything and I was, because I've got a lot of things going on right now I'm quite anxious and so my heart rate, resting heart rate is probably quite high and I stood there for, Ed said it was more than half an hour, it felt like half an mm-hmm. hour, I standing terrified to jump off, terrified and in my head I was doing this means you're doing something brave. The fear means you're doing something brave and you are not this person. And I was laughing to myself because I was like, I am literally walking through all the self-talk that we talk about on podcasts and stuff. I'm like, talk myself through this. This is fine. And and then this little boy came over and there's the point to the story. This little boy who's like seven years old came over and he was like, he was French. In this place, that speaks Spanish and he spoke in English. And he said, you have one life, one life. And I was like, oh my God. that's deep, but he's absolutely right. I'm not this person that doesn't jump. But point being, it's so easy to look forward all the time, to ruminate on the past or to worry about what's, co- like what's coming, that we do forget to just be present and enjoy what is in that day, or, or not even necessarily joy, sit in that day if it's a sh- day of shit. Like, it's so easy to try and escape that. But, I, and I know that this sounds, like I'm 35, I'm not 90, But every single day, I think this is like life is passing by every single day. And it's like, you really don't want to miss out on what you can learn and what you can experience in this one day, which is why my promise is so important. Coming back to that first question.
1: Um, I love the analogy. But the question is, did you jump?
0: I did jump. I (laughs) did jump. It was (laughs) fine.
1: Yeah. And it was fine. And I've done it so many times before, but I was just, you know, it's like frozen you're frozen you just no matter how much you want to do it
0: yeah and then everyone around was like cheering and shouting for me before and I was like this this doesn't help me like let me just let me just deal with it myself so I waited until everyone had like looked away and I was like I'm just gonna do it (laughs) Uh, um, okay any ideas for dates with yourself I need to work on my fear of being on my own so I feel like this is a perfect way to work on this
2: yes it is so fun do it (laughs) (laughs) um coffees meals cinema like fight the I don't know why people like it was my mum that got me into it mum was like oh before I met your dad I always used to go to the cinema by myself and it is just such a nice time Mm. like you can laugh out loud. No one cares. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, they might, but it's dark, so you can't see. So <laughs> um, you don't have to compromise with movies, either. You can just go to the one that you actually want to see. It's well, so much that, so much that. But yeah, it, it's so much fun, and that's when I found like their love for hot yoga, um, mm. because, like you said, you don't, you're not thinking about anyone else. You can just do what you want and have the best time.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's literally anything that you would go and do with someone else. You can do it on your own really there's not much you can't um do so just yeah just think outside the box and what do you feel like doing go do it and enjoy it
0: yeah I love taking myself out for a meal or coffee and cake Like they're my favorite things I did it yesterday actually. Emma and I always go for lunch and I was like I'm just gonna go for lunch on my own today and it's not <laughs> like food. it's just that I just wanted to just to be like date myself for the time and I think that yeah that's my favorite thing I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think what else it doesn't have to be anything extravagant like it can just be i don't know anything that you like. you like anything that you love doing mm-hmm. it's like this societal expectation of if you're on your own it's not a choice it's like no no and i think i think once you it's the fear before you start doing it as a choice you fear that it's because nobody like you don't have anyone to do it with you and you fear that people are going to think that but then when you start actively saying I'm choosing to do this I'm choosing to do this it almost takes that fear away because you're like you know this is like quite
2: empowering yeah super
0: empowering. Empowering. super empowering and also it's a great way to actually meet people like I say this I'm not the most approachable sometimes if I'm in those situations <laughs> but depends on my mood Emma Emma whenever she's doing it her own people like people just flock to her uh, <laughs> mine less so I think when it looks like someone might be looking towards me I'll put my head down so that they don't <laughs> What? (laughs) I know hard to believe. I
1: know. I know. Becca, you got a question. Okay, so. Sorry, guys. Okay. Okay, I had a really stressful day at work last week and this led to me feeling quite down and food focused. Uh, this led to me emotional eating, and I carried on for a few days. At that time, I almost didn't care about my goals; it was just about ma- managing the negative feelings. Is this something that will come in time, and will it be easier to cope with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It will be. It will be easier to cope with, and obviously, working with you, Becca, you can help um, emotional regulation and finding different ways different kind of coping strategies to deal with those feelings that come up um i mean we know that it's perfectly okay to have food for comfort when you're feeling stressed whatever we just need to or we want to make sure that it's not the the only go-to
0: yeah and again this is very much the theme of this podcast i think is mindfulness is the ability in those situations to stop be present and just check in with yourself and in that situation maybe that wouldn't have changed anything when you emotionally ate that night but the next day think about what went on for you the next day were you immediately reactive to your situation were you kind of just like well I've overeaten now so I'm just going to keep doing it or did you say I'm going to stop I'm going to maybe I'll do five minutes of meditation maybe I will write a really self-compassionate letter to myself that says all of these things that I don't like about myself what would someone else say how is the way to speak to myself kindly about this situation then did you have a really nourishing breakfast that says my body deserves this respect of a big bowl of oats with fruit and peanut butter and protein in this delicious breakfast or did you wake up and go god I'm such a failure my body doesn't deserve any of the stuff I'm just going to eat whatever it is and I think it's a difference between being reactive and being responsive so a lot of the work of mindfulness and a lot of the work that we do about pausing and being cognizant of your situation etc is all about responding rather than reacting and this is this is like one of the most life-changing tools that I think comes from our coaching and I don't just mean in terms of our in terms of your relationship with food I mean in life the ability to get a text message and start a text message whatsapp (laughs) 35 going on at 92. the ability to get a whatsapp and it triggers you to the point of you want to scream and throw your phone against the wall for you to put your phone down and say I'm going to journal for five minutes I'm just going to go for a walk listen to some music and come back then I'm going to react or rather respond is life-changing and so I think it's really about how do I slow down? How do I move away from a reactive place to saying, "What do I need?" And something that I've put in the group email actually this week is just about that. It's like my um, sister-in-law is a therapist and in the states, and she said, you know, something I say to my clients a lot is this: like, because we're talking about how we support development of self-awareness with our clients, right? And we want everyone to be self-aware, but it's very easy to then get lost in your own self-awareness and actually not take any action it's like well I know all this stuff and maybe it's x maybe it's y and it's like that's all great but what next and she said you know something that I speak to my clients about sometimes is saying you know what does my true self need and you can call it whatever you want you can call it your true self your inner child um if you're religious you might have a different term for it but what do what does my true self need right now in this moment and it might be that you're going to eat but actually do you know what your inner child or true self just needs a hug just needs to be told that they're loved and it's about pausing and then being able to be like what do I need and I think I think that definitely does come with time and this is the harder work that we're talking about that you can't just skip past because it takes hours of training just like I don't know becoming a yoga teacher you can't just be like oh I know all the moves I'm just going to be a yoga teacher if I tried to be a yoga teacher right now and I'd be laughed out because I can't even really touch my toes. I'd have to do the hours and hours of work to be able to do it. And it's the same with all of this stuff. It just takes the actual time as well as like the skill and the knowledge and everything else that comes with working with you.
2: Um, is it mine? Um, is it mine? Yeah. I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. i busy listening. And then I'm <laughs> We were raised to always finish our plates, but as an adult, I've always served up less and then gone back for more if hungry. I'm currently going through HA recovery and relearning hungerfulness cues. And sometimes I think going back for seconds is just a habit rather than a need. To learn cues and improve your relationship with food, do you think it would be better to dish up more and stop when full or dish up less and go back for more?
1: Hmm. So I think... (laughs) serve what you feel is like substantial for you right now and the goals that you have otherwise it's going to be quite hard to be present with your meal because you're going to be thinking of I'm going to finish this and I'm going to get some more and you're constantly going to be thinking ahead um so serving enough for yourself so that you know you're going to be I suppose satiated as well as physically you know that your hunger is going to be satisfied um and then if you feel like more afterwards then you know you can still go ahead and, and serve yourself more but um I just think it would prevent you from being mindful if you're thinking ahead of your next serving because you know what's coming almost mm. what do you think
0: uh, yeah I agree it's kind of like and I totally understand this desire to do this by the way but it's kind of like what external rule can I still use to guide my hunger Can I always say that I'm always going to have a bigger plate so that I know I always have to leave some? Or can I have a rule that I always serve myself a little bit less so that I know that I can always have more like I can always have more? So it's really tempting to do that and I totally understand it. But being comfortable with like sometimes your eyes are going to be bigger than your belly. That is normal. Um kids do that all the time. And and I think just serve what you think, like you said, serve what you think you want. And then accept that sometimes that might be that you waste food or that you compost food or that your dad eats your leftovers or whatever it is like some that there's a it's not bad to do either
1: and i think as well be curious about why you're serving yourself less in the first place like is it almost a strategy to to eat less hoping that you'll not give into the temptation of having another serving so um think about why you're you're serving yourself little in the first place as well.
0: Um, okay, we'll do one last question. Let me just see. Okay, it's a long one. So bear with. A long one is a discussion, not question, but I wanted to include the background details. PT put on his Instagram story comment, commenting on those who post, should your PT have apps? He started straight away saying no, followed quickly by saying those posting rarely have abs and questioning those that do. He said they often look normal or not great. He said it shits on the coaches who do hard work on their physique. He said choosing a PT with abs means I can't even see your faces as I read this but I can see like little movements and it's making me laugh. Um, he said choosing the PT with abs means you know they've dug deep and put in the work followed by it's not a dig at these people then followed by they should try getting abs themselves first because they're a coach so should know how to do it. He eventually concluded that yes you should choose someone who matched, who matched what you're looking for and helps with your goals. His final line was about these average coaches posting so you need abs. He said no, but they clearly work harder than you do, so don't be jealous. I was surprised to hear an opinion portrayed like this, although I don't know why, as I was so tr- I don't know why I was so triggered, as I'm not a coach and do have visible abs. But maybe I thought it was backhanded and unfair to other coaches. Disgust. Oh
2: God! <laughs> Where did you start? No. Where did you find these people? Oh, oh God! <laughs> I- What have you thought about the coaches that might not want abs or the coaches like females that might not be able to have abs without losing their cycle? And so many variables to consider here.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think this is that classic. I mean, there's I mean, there's loads of issues with that these types of PTs that say this. I don't mean I don't mean PTs with abs. I mean, these types of PTs that say stuff like this probably don't know what unsaturated fat is probably can't take a gym off the day gym off the day (laughs) why it's the last question take a day off the gym without um freaking out they probably skip meals with their family because they can't eat with them but they talk about the fact that they can work harder than everyone else and they probably don't understand what health is and i think it shows a, a huge these types of people again not people with abs but i think it shows a huge disconnect between some a personal trainer who understands that they're here to support health and a personal trainer who thinks that they're that personal training is about abs and it's like this this is what we're trying to move away from right and I think I often when like you'll be the same when I get questions on Instagram I never assume that fat loss is what they're talking about and my followers now know that so they'll talk they'll say fat loss in the question because why should we assume when anyone comes to us that they want fat loss why is that the assumption that we always make we don't but as coaches in the fitness industry Mm -hmm. because it's normalized that we should all want it but it's like why why should we Mm -hmm. want it do
2: you know what that was one of the things I found when I first started as a PT I was in one of the nice health clubs and that to me was like the biggest eye-opener because you were working with gym pop and a lot of, it, it was one of the ones that had a lot of more elderly members and they just want to move well to be able to get up off a chair without having to like haul themselves out and to play with their grandkids. And You know, when you're like, that's what it's all about here. Like, they just want to move well, feel well, and that, that's it.
1: Mm. Yeah, that whole spiel was just basically saying that exercise and training is solely for aesthetics and abs which is totally not what it's all about.
0: Yeah, and also I would like, I if I was getting a coach, I would look for a coach who puts more time into their business than into themselves getting abs. I don't mean a coach that doesn't do any self-work and doesn't, don't mean a coach necessarily doesn't exercise or do what their body is able to do. But if I went onto a coach's page and it was like, oh, look at my abs, this shows that I can work hard, this shows that I am inspirational. you should work with me. I'd be like, well, where do you show that you do this amount of work for your clients? Where do you show that your clients are healthy? Where do you show that your clients are happy? Where do you show actually what you're like over Christmas when you've got abs in October? Let me see your picture at Christmas because I guarantee that you're not you don't have abs and you're in not in a healthy place then. And that's not to shame someone, but it's it just shows a very reductionist view and. We don't see this type of stuff that much anymore because it's not in our echo chamber bar. But this same, per- the same person who I'm working with, she got a target. Oh God, I was t- this is why we talked about this on the live the other day, me and Emma. She got a targeted ad to her Facebook page that was um, how to get rid of inner thigh fat and vagina fat. Vagina wow. fat. <laughs> so then we were looking up. So this is where all the labia chat came from because we were like, no, apparently there's adipose tissue in your labia. And so, the, you're, like, that does change. And someone on the IQ commented saying, oh, well, when I was on prep, actually, I noticed the opposite was true. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, like, the, like we <laughs> don't see this stuff, but that still goes on. Yeah, it's People simple. are still being told, diet your vagina. Like, if you don't like my vagina at all adipose levels, then you shouldn't be around my
2: vagina. <laughs> oh, oh, it's... No, it, maybe i just oh, didn't pay that much easy. attention during prep i don't know
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i wasn't going anywhere near there during prep
1: so i wouldn't know <laughs> if it looked any different yeah. <laughs> you forgot what it looked like but yeah. you know what i saw recently was you know those machines you stand on and vibrate oh yeah i thought they were long gone and dead no obviously not Oh, no no okay. no we were when i
2: worked we were still actively encouraged to get people on them to do their stretching and talk about the benefits and yeah oh god oh fun times <laughs> but so on that note we're gonna stop there um thanks for all the questions
0: we've got plenty of questions still to do we might actually i say this quite a lot but i actually think we might have to do an extra one maybe next week we'll do two client ones next week instead and um, to get through some questions so that's awesome so keep them coming in and thank you guys very much goodbye
1: Everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>